What I wish every small business owner knew about making more money is that it doesn't have to be so complicated. I mean that literally. Creating a more complicated business doesn't guarantee you a bigger paycheck, a bigger audience, or a bigger impact in the world. Adding more and more moving parts to how your business runs doesn't get you more happy customers or more personal satisfaction either. Of course, this doesn't put a stop to the anxiety of feeling like if only you could do more, things would be better. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that takes you behind the scenes to explore how small business owners are building stronger businesses. Now, I'm certainly not immune from overcomplicating things and feeling despair that there aren't more hours in the day. I've created intricate marketing plans, business models, and schedules, all with the hope that I could pass a threshold of doing enough to make it big. But looking back over the last 12 years, I can easily see that my greatest successes have come from keeping it simple. So what does this mean for you? Whether you want to make more money or you're looking to make a bigger impact or you're looking for more time, we've got to get down to the fundamental challenges that exist in your business. And what I mean by that is that not making more money isn't actually a problem to solve. It's a symptom, an indicator that there's something else going on. Making more money is the result of solving a more specific problem or set of challenges. It might be a positioning problem or a pricing problem. It could be a customer challenge or a capacity issue. It might be a marketing problem, although I wouldn't bet on it. It might be a business model challenge or an operational issue, or it could be any combination of those things. By addressing those root challenges, we can create simple, sustainable businesses that make a lot more money. Or we can build simple, sustainable businesses that afford us more time, flexibility, or a greater impact in our communities. Today, we're kicking off both a series on simplifying and a set of two episodes with business owners who have direct experience with dramatically simplifying their businesses and in turn, creating immense growth. Bridget Lyons is the founder of Podcast Ally, a PR agency specializing in getting experts and idea people booked on podcasts. Sophie Dale is a copywriting mentor, messaging coach, and brand storyteller who helps coaches, designers, and course creators write compelling copy. Both Bridget and Sophie know what it's like to run complicated, bloated businesses. And both of them figured out what the real problem was they wanted to solve. For Bridget, it was scope creep that caused her to always be reinventing systems and getting involved in projects she shouldn't have. For Sophie, it was a lack of traction due to the fact that she was actually running three businesses, so no one quite knew what she was offering and when. In this episode, we're going to get into how they ended up with complex businesses in the first place, how they identified the need to simplify, and what the process of actually letting go of that complication looked like. In next week's episode, We'll dive into how they actually restructured things, how doing business is different today, and what the results have been. Hint, they're both making a lot more money. Now, let's find out what works for Bridget Lyons and Sophie Dale. 
Bridget and Sophie, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am really excited to dig into your sort of shared and also different experiences with simplifying your businesses. But before we can do that, I think we need to get a better idea of what was going on in your business before you simplified things. So Bridget, why don't we start off with you? Can you sort of describe your before business and how you noticed it was overcomplicated or just not as simple as it could be. Yeah. Well, before I launched the podcast Alley Brand, I was running a PR um, full service business. We were also doing training. And when I compared our business model to other PR agencies, I actually felt like we really were simplified, that we had a lot of systems in place, a lot of structures to make selling and delivering our services much easier. And what I started to realize is that I had done a lot of work up front on the sales process and streamlining our proposals, but I was still making a lot of exceptions and we still had a few different packages that we were doing. And so what was happening is that I was selling projects much faster than our team could actually fulfill them because I was always needing to jump in and say, okay, this one's a little bit different and let me train you on how to do this. And we had a, a moment when I realized that this was absolutely <laughs> not working for us when I realized for one of our packages, we weren't even doing PR really at all. We were doing SEO work. We were doing Pinterest optimization. We were actually helping that client relaunch their website. And these were all things that like I was personally really interested in, but they weren't things that the rest of the team had any clue how to deliver on. They hadn't been hired for. And it was like, yeah, compared to other PR agencies who also were dabbling in these other things, our core PR business is relatively simple. But like I was making so, so many exceptions and complicating things all the time. Mm, that I think is a really valuable thing to call out. And I also appreciate you really calling out that you noticed that the services that you, or the sort of the ways that you were serving your clients weren't in line with the core competency of the business, which is automatically going to make it more complicated and harder to run than it has to be. So that's a great jumping off point. Sophie, what did your before business look like? Well, I think the first thing to say is it was three businesses. Oh, well, that's complicated. <laughs> that was complicating things quite considerably. Um, and I think I realized that it was time to change when I kept hearing myself giving advice to other people that I was so completely not following myself. Um, and so I persuaded a couple of clients out of setting up a second business. And then I was like, how can, like, you know, the hypocrisy <laughs> here is quite significant. Um, so I hadn't obviously set out to have three businesses. Um, I'd had a business that I had started when my daughter was a baby, when I kind of would have been on maternity leave. And that was a book coaching and editing business. And then um, and that kind of played in absolutely directly to what I had been doing prior to becoming a parent. And then a few years in, I'd started a second business um, and that was around business coaching and copywriting. And that was really, that came out of people asking me to help them with things. And then I took a little bit of time to think about the two businesses. Only, unfortunately, my solution to the two businesses was to set up a third business, um, which was to bring the two together because I loved business. Uh, I loved the um, book coaching and I also loved the 
um, work with entrepreneurial clients. And I thought, let's bring the two things together and have a business that is for entrepreneurs who want to write books. So at the time, I thought this was a stroke of genius. But in fact, I found I couldn't quite let go of the other two businesses. Um, and in the end, I realized I was kind of asking myself the wrong question. And I don't know, it might be the right question for some people, but the question I was asking myself is, what do I most enjoy? You know, what do I most enjoy doing? What do I love the most? And the problem was, it was like trying to choose between your favorite children. Like, I loved all of them. <laughs> um, and it just wasn't a helpful question to work out how to simplify. That uh, feels very familiar. And it also relates to uh, the episode that we did with Justine Clay, uh, 328, uh, where I talked about opportunity cost and really understanding the trade-offs of following an opportunity versus sticking with the path that you have and how often we don't even notice that there's a decision being made that is essentially, well, I'm going to keep doing this thing and also do this other thing and also do this other thing too. Um, so Sophie, I'll, I'll kind of loop back to you and then ask a similar question of Bridget, which is, as you were building those three businesses or as you were spotting those opportunities, what it sounds like there was the there was the question that you were asking, which is what do you like doing? Um, there was also you mentioned, you know, people are asking you for some specific things. And so you're kind of responding to that demand. But when you thought about like, I'm going to set this up as another business, was there a particular goal that you had in mind? Was there a, like a revenue need that you were trying to meet? Was there um, a creative itch that you were trying to scratch? What was the the goal you were trying to achieve with all of that? I think by the time I set up the, the one that was chronologically the third business, um, I think what I was trying to do was I really was trying to simplify and my intention was to let go of the other two businesses. And then I just mm. completely failed to follow through on that um, and totally had three businesses up and running for all of that time. So I think my intention wasn't wasn't too off base, although it hasn't ended up being that business. That business hasn't won out of the three. It, that's not the one that I'm still doing now. Um, but I think it was the follow through that was the problem for me. It was the how do you let go of other things that you enjoy when your criteria for choosing what you do is that you enjoy it? <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that's going to be very familiar to many listeners. Um, Bridget, that makes me kind of think back uh, to what you said about all of those exceptions. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if there wasn't sort of and you kind of mentioned this, like a similar intent behind that. I'm going to allow these exceptions because like, that's an interesting project and I want to explore that. Can you kind of speak to the motivation behind those uh, exceptions that you were creating? Yeah. So when it was happening, I think I really justified it to myself by saying I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. It's why I'm an entrepreneur because I always felt like there were these moments in my business of expansion and contraction. And sometimes I would get really focused on one offer and then I would feel like, oh, it's time to expand and try something else and add something else in. And it was often based on something that I was personally interested in with my own business that would coincide. So like public relations, you know, getting media placements and search engine optimization actually go very well together because media links are very good backlinks to your website and help drive traffic. So I had this one sense that I think was 
part justification and part true where these services would be integrated. It would be a growth path for our business. And there's a lot of businesses out there in PR today that follow this model and are very successful. But I also started doing about a year and a half ago, some personal work with someone I know you know as well is Nicole Lewis Kieber. And she helps you look at the ways that big and little T trauma, as she talks about it, kind of play out in your business relationships. And when I look back at it with the benefit of doing all that work, what I realized is that I was really trying to soothe that like sense of fear and uncertainty I had about Mm -hmm. my business model, that it wouldn't be stable, that it would fail me, that, well, let's just face it, like public relations is a brutal business because you are constantly cold pitching people or even warm pitching the media on behalf of clients. You almost never get a response back. And I think that there was this part of me that was like, I'm setting myself up in this industry that is so brutal and I couldn't really emotionally handle all that all the time. And so it's like just desperately seeking something that would like give me more comfort within my business. And so all of that was like externally trying to fix something that until I did that like inner work, I would never have the peace and the confidence to actually simplify and go all in on like what I ultimately believed was the right thing for my clients and for me. Mm. Okay. That's, that's good and deep and I love it. And it kind of leads into this idea of letting go uh, that Sophie brought up initially. And I want to come back to that and I'm going to make myself a note. But before we get there, I want to talk about the consequences of overcomplicating things, whether it's multiple businesses or multiple ways that you weren't supposed to be serving your clients in the first place. So Bridget, what were some of the consequences of always uh, allowing those exceptions to be made and kind of exploring, uh, allowing yourself to to self-soothe the uncertainty through diversifying your business? Yeah, well, I was constantly putting myself into new situations, which is absolutely the worst way to make yourself feel better. (laughs) Like, I was constantly having to face the situation again and again, where I go into a new situation with a client. And, you know, I've been in PR and marketing for 20 years, like, I definitely know my stuff, but I was always having to create a new package, create a new way of measurement, And also create a new way of working within my team because building up a team has always been a priority for me and having a business. I always knew that that was something that I wanted. And so just the drain on creating new systems internally, training team members, what the ultimate consequence meant was that we always had like just enough, just enough Mm -hmm. time to get things done, just enough revenue, just enough profit margin to kind of get through the next few months. But there was no long-term sustainability. And when I talk about sustainability, I don't actually just mean financial sustainability. I actually mean more like emotional sustainability, sleep sustainability for all of us, like all of those capacity issues that when you're always doing something new, you can never really build and improve on what you've got or settle into a rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. I've been talking a lot lately about Yes, financial sustainability, but also like we got to look at operational sustainability and we have to look at personal and social sustainability. And so I appreciate you kind of teasing those things out that, yes, there are there are 
there can be harm done uh, to your business in its financial model when things are overcomplicated. And that's a very real, very common problem. But there's also all of these other things that are personally harmful to us as business owners and also harmful to our team members, too. I really appreciate you calling that that piece out. Um, Sophie, what were some of the consequences? I mean, I'm sure we can guess some of them, but I'm curious, you know, as you were trying to run these three businesses all at once, what were some of the things that were happening that kind of tipped you off to like, this isn't working? I think partly that as opportunities came up in any one of the three businesses, you know, you would do a podcast interview or you take part in a community project or something like that. And then obviously things don't necessarily get publicized at the moment that you record the interview or whatever. And then by the time the interview went out or the project went live or whatever, I would be focusing much more on one of the other businesses. And that's much worse than, you know, the same thing can happen within one business where, you know, you do a podcast interview that's mostly about a particular service. And then by the time it comes out, you're promoting something else. But it's all still part of the same business and if somebody mm-hmm. follows the link and comes back to you they may still you know become part of your world as a result whereas if in my case people were kind of finding me and then getting confused because there wasn't a great deal happening in that particular business at that particular moment in time and so that was one of the ways in which it was obvious that this really wasn't working and i think also to kind of chime in more with what bridget was saying that kind of issue around this is a word i've heard you use a lot recently tara and it's really been reverberating in my mind is capacity um and that sense of if you divide yourself between three businesses and in my case you know it's not like i had a team in any of the businesses so i did collaborate with some people on some things but there wasn't an in place team of people who this was their priority. I was the only person for whom it was a priority. And so I think the extent to which your capacity just is automatically overstretched before you're doing anything in particular in any of the businesses is looking back on it. I just can't imagine (laughs) why I did it for so long because the moment I stopped, the relief and the headspace of just focusing on one business and making everything line up within that one business was so much easier. There was so much more alignment and so much more flow and everything was so much more straightforward that it, I don't know, in in retrospect, it seems kind of truly insane that I did things the way I did for as long as I did. But at the time, it didn't seem insane. At the time, it seemed, you know, logical. Perfectly logical, perfectly rational. Yes. uh, Yes. Um, (laughs) Sophie, I want to come back to like how you actually made the choice uh, to simplify and to choose which business you were going to move forward with um, in a minute. But I kind of want to follow up on like, how were you actually dividing your time? Um, Because to your point, like in the in the moment, it can seem really logical. It can seem really rational. Um, but when you start to take a more analytical view of it, you realize, oh, wait, that that's not happening. And I'm, I'm thinking that maybe if you talk through the way you divided your time, some other people might be able to say, oh, wait, I'm kind of doing that too. So I think for me, what I tended to do was one of the businesses 
tended at any given time to be the kind of front-facing business that I was launching something in or talking about, you know, socially or, or whatever. Um, and the other two would be sitting on the back burner, but I would actually be doing client work in the other two because I would, mostly my projects were quite long-term, especially, I mean, book coaching, very long-term commitment to work with people. Um, and then getting recurring clients and people returning would mean that somebody would come back, even though I wasn't, you know, that business was practically silent and dark. But as far as a previous client was concerned, they would just email me when they were ready to carry on working again. And so the way I would divide my time would be that most of my time, probably I would say about three quarters of my time in any given week would be uh, directed towards the front facing business, whatever that was mm -hmm. at that moment in time. And then between 10%, you know, around 10% would be going to each of the other businesses in kind of keeping up with a particular client project or something along those lines. And I guess that's why I didn't feel as thinly stretched because I wasn't trying to market three businesses at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's how I allowed myself to continue in that circumstance for as long as I did. But what I didn't understand or what I didn't kind of appreciate or notice until I stopped was that issue about the headspace and the capacity. Because even though I wasn't actively marketing or, or you know, working towards the other two businesses, they were still there. And I was still mm -hmm. using up some baseline capacity on them. So I think that's the bit that I didn't see. Yeah. And I'm wondering, too, if those businesses that were in the 10% role at any given time, if you kind of felt like they were getting away from you or that they were kind of dying a little bit or at least withering a little bit, or did it seem like, oh, no, they're fine? Generally, it felt like they were fine, particularly the oldest one, which has always been mostly mm. a word of mouth business through literary agents that I knew through my previous work. And those literary agents would get in touch and say, there's this person, they're not ready yet can you help them get their book ready or can you help them with their book proposal or whatever? And so that business never needed, I mean, I'm sure it could have been more successful with more um, kind of attention, but it, it kind of ran itself on that word of mouth background. And so I kind of knew that it could run forever on that basis, probably mm -hmm. gradually dwindling as I did less to, in terms of outreach, but it would still keep going in a kind of small way. Um, the other the other two, whenever I wasn't um, putting any attention towards them, I would start to feel that one sliding away. Um, mm. So, yes, it was a bit different with the other two. Got it. Um, so speaking of sliding away, let's move the conversation toward this idea of letting things go and kind of uh, not just making the decision to let things go, although I'm I'm really interested in that as well, but also the emotional process. You'll hear how Bridget and Sophie ultimately made the decision to simplify in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Sheena Collier turned a hashtag into a thriving community with her Mighty Network. Sheena had built a life in Boston, but recognized that the city wasn't always welcoming, especially to its Black residents. At first, she took the lead on putting together a book club, a dinner club, and even a finance club. 
Then she launched The Collier Connection, an event planning consultancy aimed at helping companies create more inclusive events. That led to working with the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce to help them leverage the business community to address issues of access and equity. And that led to the Boston Well Black hashtag. She took the traction she got from tweeting Boston While Black and organized an in-person forum to offer a platform for a wide range of stories and experiences. And from there, Sheena decided to launch a community at the beginning of 2020. Originally, the community was going to be organized around in-person gatherings, but of course, the pandemic threw her a curveball. Thanks to Mighty Networks, she was able to quickly pivot into offering the community online. Today, Boston While Black boasts over 290 members paying $30 or more per month or joining through employer-sponsored memberships. The community organizes around monthly themes, hosts community leaders for Boston While Black unfiltered sessions, and even hosts DJs for a monthly virtual party. If Sheena's story sounds awesome to you, then it's time to explore how Mighty Networks could help you turn your idea into an awesome community. To get started, go to MightyNetworks.com. And if you're looking for more stories of awesome to inspire your Mighty Network, go to MightyNetworks.com and click Stories. So Sophie, let's talk about the decision. Tell me about the day or the week or the season in which you decided enough of this. It's it's time to choose and it's time to pare down. So I think it came up because um, what I now focus mostly on in the business that has remained is messaging work with people. Mm. And obviously for messaging work, you know, you want to have a concise, clear message that remains consistent and that people can understand easily and so on and so forth. And so I think I heard myself talking to a client <laughs> and just thought this, this cannot go on. I cannot continue to have three businesses. This just does not make sense. Um, and um, so that, I think that was the sort of um, road to, where is it, Damascus moment um, of, you know, just this can't go on in this particular way. And then I had read uh, the book Essentialism when mm. it first came out, but I think I must have just kind of skim read it and thought, yes, 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 I'm very, very good at simplifying things and I'm not going to think about this anymore. Um, and then I reread it um, and I have a couple of bones to pick with it as a book, but its core issue, the, the core idea behind it really resonated on second reading. Um, and I think that was the moment where that uh, realization started to kind of crystallize. And I started to really think about, okay, how do I make these trade-offs? How do I decide? I can't prioritize three businesses. How do I decide what I'm actually going to go forward with? How do I decide what to kind of go all in on. And then I think around the same time, in that way that, you know, when you're pregnant, you notice lots of pregnant people, or when you've just bought a yellow car, you mm -hmm. see yellow cars everywhere. So because it was very much on my mind, I think I started seeing people who were going all in on one thing. Um, and that helped to reinforce the idea that these people were having success doing that. And therefore, I think I had a little bit more momentum to um, do that too. Um, and around the same time, I had decided to step away from Facebook and Instagram and the whole Zuckerberg empire. Mm -hmm. um, and 
so that bit of kind of simplifying one element of my business and stepping away from, from some of that kind of online noise and that um, comparisonitis, which tends to affect you even when you don't think you're being affected by it. Um, I think all of that helped me to kind of take a step back and just think about things from the point of view of what worked for me um, and not be so taken up with what other people were doing. Because um, I think that was definitely something that would catch me back into a loop with the other businesses mm -hmm. because you would see something, somebody doing something interesting and it would be obvious that one of the three businesses was better suited to doing that thing. <laughs> and that would kind of reignite my enthusiasm for that particular business. Um, and so um, I think not seeing as much of that was helpful as well. Bridget, tell us about the the day, the week, the season in which you realized, okay, I got to do things differently. I got to let some stuff go. Yeah, I had been sort of inching towards it because the moment happened at a time where we were already predominantly doing podcast outreach packages. Um, but of course, still making exceptions, still not kind of leaning into our zone of genius. And I got an email so Tara, you and I met a decade ago. <laughs> this is oh, part of the story. God. <laughs> I'm really sorry. When I was 30 at the World Domination Summit, the very first one, and a little over a year and a half ago, I got an email like the World Domination Summit is ending, you know, in the future for its 10th mm -hmm. year. And I haven't been to that event in a long time, but because I had quit my job and the next week gone to that event, it had always had like this very special, meaningful place for me. And then meeting people like you and like oh, so many people I'm connected with today. And I just remember reading that email and being like, oh my God, like my business is going to turn 10 years old, like a year and a half in the future. I personally am going to turn 40. I've been doing this for almost a decade now. Do I really want to be sitting here in another decade when I'm 50, like throwing spaghetti at the wall, recreating things all the time? Like, I'm feeling so emotional right now just recounting that moment to you because of course not. Of course, that's not what I want. And so that sort of thinking about my business has survived this long for almost 10 years my husband had quit his job. We were supporting ourselves through the business. I was starting to believe like the revenue will come when I put my plans. I was starting to believe in myself a little bit more then. And it really opened a door for me to think about what I wanted for myself, for my life in a bigger way. And ultimately, I just really realized that like, I don't just want my company to be this hustle that I'm always doing that is helping me live that is even helping. I mean, at the time I had just had, I think at that time I was just working with basically an intern, um, you know, just for me in a small team kind of living our lives. Like I was like, I want to build a brand. I want to build a company. I want it to exist outside of me. I want to be able to like either sell the business or put somebody in a management position so that I can take real time away. Um, and realizing that made me realize that I had to approach my model completely, completely differently. So I started kind of looking into what all of that would take. And I started looking up like, what does it take to sell like a consulting business or a service-based businesses? And this is highly simplified, but for what I found is like, I would need three things. You need intellectual property. That's one, that's kind of a bonus for a service-based business. And I realized like, 
wait, I have that in the podcast space. We are one of the first companies that's ever worked with podcasts. So we have systems, we have tools for reaching podcasts, and we have a database of a thousand podcasts that we've hand pulled together. Um, you also need a business that can run without the owner. And you also need a book of recurring revenue. And so I had the first element, which kind of shocked me. And then, then my whole focus was like, how do I get the next two? And of course, that brings us back to like the whole topic. It's all about the simplification. But like, without that email, honestly, embarrassingly enough, kind of making me feel not just like my own age, but my age as a business owner and feeling like I can do better than this. Like, I don't have to 10 years in, am I really in this loop? No, I like, absolutely. I don't want to be that person. Um, that was such a huge turning point for me. Mm. I I, I appreciate you using the phrase throwing spaghetti at the wall um, because, again, I think it's something that so many people can relate to. And at the same time, like knowing your business pretty well, I know that from the outside, it didn't look like throwing spaghetti at the wall, right? It didn't look like you were all over the place. It looked like you were super focused always on what you did best, how you did it differently than others, on how your business ran or runs. Um, and so I'm, I don't entirely know what my question is here, but I, I just, I'm, I guess I'm curious about the difference between the outside perspective and the inside perspective of feeling, you know, feeling like this is what I'm doing or knowing even this is what I'm doing. I'm trying to hold out for that thing that's going to work. Then the next thing I try, that's going to be the ticket to success versus from the outside, having what looks like a very sophisticated, mature way of running your business. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's, you know, it feels really vulnerable to talk about this because like, I appreciate you saying that. And I do think that is the perception of my business. And it's like, I don't want to throw that away. And I don't think it's like entirely untrue. Like compared to most PR agencies, we really did have our niche. We had our focus. So like when somebody would come in and say, you know, can you do PR for me? And in spaces that we don't work in, I would always refer them out. And so I did have a lot of discipline already. Um, I think that the way that it felt inside that you guys weren't seeing on the outside was that we were always doing these experiments. So we would have 80% of our work was probably in this one streamlined way that everybody saw. And then there'd be this 20% of play that we were doing in new spaces or taking on clients. Like this might <laughs> resonate with people listening. So I've been in business, you know, like I said, for almost, it's going to come up on 10 years now. And I have a lot of relationships in the industry. And so people would just reach out to me and they say, they'd say, you know, Bridget, I have this project. I really want to work with you on it. And here's what it is. And I would love them and just want to make that work. So we found ourselves doing these random projects, like um, for one old client who I had done a PR job for a few years ago, she wanted us to help her build up affiliate relationships for a launch that she was doing. And so we're like, well, that's, not that different than what we're doing. It's sending outreach emails, making connections. Like you can see, it's like, there's huge, the Venn diagram between PR and those affiliate emails is, there's an overlap, except we don't have a database of affiliates. 
my team didn't, you know, my intern at the time didn't know anything about the, what those were. So it was like, even though that felt like a 20% difference from what we were doing, I couldn't just hand that off. I was having to step in all the time. And this is kind of jumping ahead, but like what I really realized, like my zones of genius are in sales, a hundred percent in building the systems to make my team successful. Basically those two things, those two things are my job (laughs) and everything else that I do outside of that, like literally stalls my business. Like at the time I was having this thing, this whole process that we're talking about, I had this visualization that came to me where I was like, my company is a hot air balloon and I am the rock holding it down. Like I'm the rock. I'm the person holding it back because I keep saying, oh yeah, we'll make that work. Or I love you too. Let's go forward and figure out a package for you. And it was just meant that I couldn't do any of those things that had to be done, like investing in the team training, um, doing more sales call because I was constantly, like Terry, you had the episode on the squeeze. Like I was squeezed Mm -hmm. all the time. And sometimes I feel like that still, but at least I'm squeezed in time, like doing the right things. So I think it's really a small shade. I like that. This is why you, Sophie and I are so different with our stories of like, she had three, I had one that from the outside looked together, but that 20% of distraction was just completely keeping us from growing in the way that we could. Mm, Yeah. Thank you for teasing that out with my very not well thought out question. <laughs> I hope that was kind of the, what you were looking for there. <laughs> exactly. That was. Ex- I didn't even know what I was looking for, but that I know is going to be really helpful okay. uh, to people because I see that all the time. And to your point about like, this idea of being squeezed, um, I'll find the episode number for, for that. Um, but you know, I wrote a follow-up piece to that on the difference between being busy and being squeezed. And I think, you know, when you're squeezed, things tend to be overcomplicated. You're all outside of your zones of genius. You're ignoring the business's core competencies and just chasing after things, constantly running experiments. But once you have it to a place where you're like, no, this is the thing. This is what I'm 110% committed to. You might still be busy, but you know that that busy is in service of a higher goal of, um, and you can see there's light at the end of the tunnel. When you're squeezed, it feels like, I don't know how this is ever going to end. I hope that it's going to end, right? Like, and every other thing you squeeze in there is an attempt to make it end. But with busy, you're like, okay, I just need to get to this spot. I'm going to work through this busy season. And when I hit this milestone or when this date comes, I'm going to pull back. I'm going to take my foot off the gas a little bit. Um, So yes, super helpful. Okay, Sophie, I'm wondering if Bridget's hot air balloon um, metaphor, visual for us kind of uh, is similar to your feelings of like needing to let go, like needing to untie the rope from around the rock. So talk us through like for you, what did that process of actually saying goodbye to the other two businesses, what did that look like? And what did that feel like for you? So I definitely resonated with the hot air balloon metaphor. And I think for me, I felt like there was a kind of rock on the ground or maybe two rocks on the ground with the two other businesses Mm -hmm. that the um, hot air balloon was kind of tethered to. 
and that I was going to need to cut both of those ropes in order for the hot air balloon to rise into the sky. Um, and to kind of follow through with the rope metaphor, I think I felt like I was pulling lots of different ropes or strings to do different things for the different businesses and none of it cohered. Whereas if once I was just thinking about one business, when I pulled, everything came in that direction mm. all at once. Um, and that that was the really big shift was feeling like it's all lining up. It's all pointing in the same direction. So I might be doing different things within the business, but it's all leading to the same eventual place. Uh, whereas if by definition, if you have three different businesses, they can't all be leading to the same eventual place. Yeah. Did you have any sort of grieving process around letting go of the other two businesses? Not by the time I actually did it, I think. I okay. think by the time I actually did it, I was so ready to do it. Um, even though I think that process of readiness was kind of invisible to me for a long time running up to making the decision. Um, I think I have a couple of times left relationships in the past and a similar thing has been going on. <laughs> I have been kind of, you know, cutting ties mentally, but um, not been that aware of it. And then suddenly things come to the surface and you become aware of it. And it actually felt really freeing and liberating mm. to do and um, really lightening to do. I love that. And ties right into the hot air balloon metaphor. Bridget, did you have a grieving process? Because I, I'm wondering if your original, more complicated business was tied to like some deep identity things you had about your career in the PR agency or in the PR world. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing with PR for me because, you know, I got into this whole business because my major was creative writing and I just wanted like a writing career. And so I ended up in PR while I was still in college. I did my first internships and it was where I was. And I feel like, Tara, you asked that question kind of knowing that I've always felt conflicted about that. Like if I were to go back, is that what I would do? And there was definitely a part of coming to peace with it where I think in some ways it was more deeply committing to the identity I have more of like a founder owner than mm. as a PR person that felt good. I think though, something that I did feel Sophie talked about this earlier, which is whenever you see somebody else doing something where you're like, I could do that. Oh, I could be making money doing that. Why are they doing that? And I'm not, and I could be like having that slice of the pie and like, I think that that can be a positive force. Like I like to look at, okay, what am I feeling here? What am I not getting that I feel like I need? And like, honestly, the answer is usually recognition, right? That <laughs> they're getting mm -hmm. referred, especially when you go into Facebook groups or forums where people are getting referred all the time and you're like, well, I know how to do that. Why aren't I getting referred? And so you just have to find the appropriate way, I think, to meet that need. And like, I have this question that I ask myself now that I think is related to this, which is, what would you do if you believed in your vision with your whole heart? And so chasing that and saying like, okay, sometimes maybe my vision does require me to go and have more recognition for what I'm doing here. It doesn't mean that I need it for doing all the things though. It just like really helps me center in my vision and just say like, do you believe in this Bridget or do you not? And, and, and kind of like let go of that 
those other forces that are not kind of your highest and your best self. But so I think more than grieving, it's kind of, it's kind of embarrassing, but it's more that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> Both Bridget and Sophie's stories remind me of something that I talk about in The Commitment Blueprint, and that is the validation spiral and how it leads simultaneously to overcommitting and undercommitting. We start out wanting to be useful and feel like we have something valuable to contribute. And everything we say yes to goes toward creating that sense of usefulness. It could be a parenting responsibility or an event you've been asked to help out with or a new offer, a new client or an entirely new business. And because feeling useful and having something valuable to contribute feels good, or at least gives us a sense of identity even when it doesn't feel good, we say yes to more and more things start to get complex. And as time goes on, we simply don't have the resources to allocate appropriately to each of our responsibilities. Now, at this point, the only way we can continue is to either compromise our commitment to our responsibilities and do them half-heartedly or continue on and burn out. Either way, we end up feeling pretty useless. And so the spiral starts again. The validation spiral certainly doesn't cover all of the reasons we tend to overcomplicate our businesses, but it covers a lot of them. If you're wondering whether you've overcomplicated your business, a helpful question to ask yourself is, do I have all of the resources I need to make this business, as it's designed, work well? Do you have the time, the money, the audience, the mental bandwidth, the energy to make it happen? Do you have access to others who can supplement the time, money, mental bandwidth, and energy required to make it happen? If the answer is no, there is absolutely no shame in that. It's just an indication that it's time to let go of the complication and design a simpler business that can get the results you want with fewer resources. Now, I know that sounds easier said than done, but what if it was as easy as it sounds? Because I truly believe that it can be. Now, next week, you're going to hear how Bridget and Sophie designed their simpler businesses, how things are running now, and what kind of results they're seeing. In the meantime, find out more about Bridget Lyons and Podcast Ally at podcastally.com, and find out more about Sophie Dale at sophiedale.com. Finally, if you love conversations like this one that break down common assumptions and conventional wisdom about building a strong small business, you're going to love the What Works Network. All this month, we're talking about simplifying, and I'm guiding the community through completing a one-page business plan called the Stronger Business Map. Next month, we'll be digging into unconventional conversations about building your audience. And in June, we'll be talking about getting help and building a team. Want to get in on the action? Request your invitation to our next new member enrollment at explorewhatworks.com network. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. Our production assistant is Lou Blazer. And this episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Until next time, keep doing What Works. <laughs>